0: guys welcome to a new episode of sauce of the scary derek zoo jeff Wright here with you this week jeff what's going on buddy how are you
1: i am doing okay it is crazy hot here in tennessee and i've got a weekend hanging out with teenagers outside so i'm you know my dread factor is kind of raised a little bit (laughs) Uh, but it's nice to be in a nice air-conditioned building talking about a scary movie again for sure man um
0: what like What's the, I know this isn't what we do
1: here, but what's the temperature there in Tennessee? Uh, today, I mean, I guess some people are going to be like, uh, today is, I think 93 is a high, and the heat index is going to have it at 111. Yeah. And if if anybody listening to this has never been to the uh, the United States, the, the southern part of the U.S., and you want to know what it feels like, get a towel, um, soak it in water in your bathtub, microwave it, and then wrap yourself in it, and that's what it's like living in my my neck of the woods right now. Yeah, I uh,
0: I read a meme that said if you want to know what it's like to live in Tennessee,
1: um,
0: r- go run, take a shower with all your clothes on, and then walk outside.
1: Yeah, that's an accurate representation as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I hate to I hate to hear that because it's not any better here in Missouri. Uh, yesterday, the high was ninety nine. And the with the heat index it felt like hundred and ten. So.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean I love summer. I'm not one of these people who gets into fall other than, you know, Halloween. Uh just because I can feel the creeping finger of winter death behind it. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I'm I'm definitely a spring and summer guy, but this part of the year, every year I'm like, Why do I not live further north? And of course when it gets winter I'm like, Why do I not live further south? I'm just I'm back to contradictions. Yeah. I understand.
0: And uh <laughs> It's pretty rough, for sure. So,
1: well, how are right. you, man? You asked me. Uh, you uh, you hanging in there? Yeah, I, uh It's a rough time,
0: Dolly Town, Dolly Town, right now. But uh, besides that, we're okay. Okay, right. well, glad to hear it. Yeah. So, um, excited to talk about this movie, though, man. For yeah, sure. Me too. We've been waiting on this one a while. Yeah, we have. And uh, interested to hear your thoughts on it. But before we get to that. Let's get to everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. So, all right, Jeff, I've got three trailers for you. I want to go a little out of order from our run sheet. Um, I'm going to go from least, uh, (laughs) I almost said attractive. That's not the right word. (laughs) Uh, I can't think this morning. From uh, least popular or least exciting to uh, the most excited for me. Okay. Uh, so the first one is called Jacob's Ladder and it is a remake of the 1990 thriller starring Tim Robbins. Uh, after returning home from the Vietnam War, veteran Jacob Singer struggles to maintain his sanity, by, plagued by hallucinations and flashbacks. Singer repeatedly, or excuse me, rapidly falls apart as the world and people around him morph and twist into disturbing images. So, uh, first question, did you ever see the 1990 original?
1: I actually did not. And in fact, I am right now image searching it to see uh, to see what it looks like. I I don't think I even was aware of this, Derek. Um, I'm a big Tim Robbins fan. I think most people are. But Mm -hmm. somehow this one just completely passed not only my Tim Robbins fandom uh, radar, but but my horror movie radar. So that's a long way of answering no. Did you see this? I no, sir. I never did. Okay. Okay. well, hmm. What do you know every now and then you find out about a movie that's been out a long time with somebody like that you've never seen or heard about strange sensation yeah, um, so this remake stars Jesse
0: Williams and Michael Ely, and uh it will be in theaters uh august the twenty third
1: okay that's right around my birthday um does it did it look appealing to you
0: um uh not really
1: yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> it looked like a cheesy lifetime movie, oh. But um, for those people that like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. So uh, I wanted to include it just in case people uh, people were fans of the original and wanted to see a remake or um, or fans of Jesse Williams and uh, Michael Ealy.
1: Yeah, well, that's a that's a shame. I I will tell you, the image search makes me think that maybe um, maybe it's like a body horror kind of thing, which is not usually my jam. Uh, so I'm not, I don't know. Maybe our listeners can get at us and be like, Hey, you need to watch this for sure. Cause I think probably I'll just avoid both of them mm-hmm. until someone tells me the body horror isn't that crazy.
0: Yeah. The, the Tim Robbins one looks interesting and it's free on Amazon prime. So,
1: okay. Okay. Uh, I
0: might be, might be worth throwing on to, i be throwing throwing on just to see what it is. And I mean, he has a seven, seven and a half on IMDb. So
1: really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey, That's listeners, better, get at us. Let us know.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say that's better than the movie that
1: we're reviewing today has. So, Yeah, huh. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's definitely a feather in the cap.
0: Yeah, for sure. So anyway, yeah, that movie comes out, um, what, next weekend, I guess? Yeah, next weekend on August the 23rd. Holy smokes. No kidding. It's already, it's already the 13th of August.
1: No kidding, man.
0: Oh, all right. Um, second movie we've got here is um, Knives Out. Which, did you see the trailer for this um, in the Scary Stories? I sure did, and okay. I actually
1: watched it. Um, so anyway, set up the synopsis we can talk about it a little bit further.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When renowned crime novelist Harlan Thrumbray, or Thrumby, excuse me, Christopher Plummer, is found dead at his estate just after his 85th birthday, the inquisitive and debonair detective Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, is mysteriously enlisted to investigate. Uh, from Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, Block sifts through a web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely death. And this star stars a litany of people from uh, the aforementioned Dan- Daniel Craig and Christopher Plummer to Chris Evans. Uh, Michael Shannon is in this. Tony Collette. Um, gosh, who else do we have here? Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis, thank you. Uh, Don Johnson, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, so yeah, whole, like I said, whole litany of, uh, of people in this bad boy and also directed by Ryan Johnson. So, yeah.
1: Well, can I, can I just start? You, you help me decide if I want to watch this. How about that? Okay. What, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I thought it looked really good. Okay. Uh, but I, but I mean, my, my, uh, past is very riddled with murder mysteries. So, yeah. Well, I think we both liked murder on the Orient Express. Am I right on that? Uh, Yeah, it was it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but it was good. Okay. well, I think actually I'm probably more enthusiastic about Murder on the Orient Express. I think you were the one who told me to watch it and I put it off for a long time Mm -hmm. and I finally watched it. And I was like, dude, I'm really into this. Um, So so knives out. The trailer gave me, you know, gave me the similar vibes uh, in that way. And then with the cast, I I was pretty excited about it. Can you guess the one factor that took me way out? Um oh I guess Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Dude. It. When I saw like it said Ryan Johnson directed like directed by Ryan Johnson was a big part of the final card they showed on the trailer, and I thought about tweeting at them and being like that is not something you want to emphasize. That is <laughs> like <laughs> Damon Lindelof. Um I have not forgiven Ryan Johnson for what he did to Luke Skywalker and the Star Wars universe. And so I, I think right now my scales are leaning toward the whodunit premise and the quality of the cast. Uh, but I, I am not a fan of Ryan Johnson, man. Like, he's on that list for me with Zack Snyder and Lindelof. So uh, it, it, it's a significant negative factor. Well, there you go. All that really means is that I'm probably going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I may have yeah. a problem with movies. I, uh, I see a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I uh, I loved it. I thought it was a great trailer. Um, Chris Evans is uh, he just jumps off the screen in that trailer, and um, I thought that the entire cast is worth checking out. Um, I don't have the ill wilk towards Ryan Johnson that you do, so mm. this will be uh, this will be one that I I try to go see as soon as possible. That'll be right around Thanksgiving when it comes out. And we're Stupid busy at Dolly's um, during that whole Thanksgiving week. So it'll probably be um, the first day that I have off, which looking right now will probably be at the end of November will be the next day I have off. So, mm. uh, yeah, so we'll I'll, I'll eventually get to it. <laughs>
1: uh, we'll, we'll compare notes. Maybe it'll be scary enough to get a uh, get a review on here. I will tell you I'm interested with Chris Evans, uh, what he's going to do post-Avengers. You know, it's, it's no secret that Cap is his highest profile role, and that's an easy way to get typecast. Uh, that trailer seemed like it emphasized him dropping a naughty word. Uh, and I wondered if that wasn't to be like, oh, Chris Evans going a different direction. He's going to have to do something. You know what I mean? To kind of I don't think Elijah Wood was ever able to really relaunch particularly well. Uh, the kid who played Harry Potter has struggled, too. I just wonder if Chris is going to have to do some pretty out there stuff to uh to break out of our immediate like, oh, man, the did cap, did cap just say another cuss word. Yeah. Yeah. For people to be like language. <laughs> Yep,
0: exactly. We've all become Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see, you know, but I'm I'm curious to see what all those uh, people from like the Avengers movies do, because they've all those are all their breakout roles. I mean, you know, it's it's joked around a lot that uh, Downey has just turned into Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's he's going to be in Dr. Doolittle, I think, is his next big project. And he's doing a Perry Mason movie. Um So he's got several different things that, you know, but you just wonder if, like, he'll ever break away from the Tony Stark thing. And likewise with Chris Evans and, uh, you know, I guess Ruffalo's kind of Teflon because he had such a great career. Well, I mean, Downey did, too, but. You know Stark was really the the thing that brought him back to the precipice of a lister.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
0: so it, it's just it's a it's a curious time for those actors. That's, that's I guess that's what I'm trying to say.
1: Sure, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. I- yeah. If uh, if you can use your connections to Downey to get him to do another Sherlock Holmes movie, I'm ready for that for sure. Well, my friend, uh, don't worry, Bob and I've already talked about it. And Sherlock Holmes three should
0: be in theaters uh, December twenty twenty one.
1: Good deal. Thank you, sir. It's good to know people with connections. Yeah, that's no problem at all, man. I'm happy to do that.
0: So, um, Yeah. So, again, this movie comes out on uh, November the twenty seventh. And uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, your response to it and and everyone else's as well. And finally, Jeff, it looks like October um, is usually always pretty busy for us, but it's going to be especially busy. You know, last week we talked about two movies that are coming out on October the 18th. Uh, This week I've got one that I saw the trailer for last night, and I am uh, very much pumped to see how this plays out.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, it, it's a movie called Mary. Okay. And here is the synopsis on that. A family looking to start a charter boat business buys a ship that holds a terrifying, or excuse me, that holds terrifying secrets once out on isolated waters. And that may seem like a thin premise, but the star of the movie is Gary Oldman.
1: Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's an opening day or, uh, yeah. Has Gary really worked in horror? Uh, I mean, outside of Dracula. Yeah, it's been a long time, man. Dude, I'm yeah, I'm pumped for that. I, I know you said uh, thin premise, but I, I really do love the ocean. Like, I feel like at a genetic level, I need to get to the ocean every so often. Mm-hmm. But the thought of being out in the sea uh, seems very vulnerable, particularly if you're either, you know, in some kind of hostile boat environment or you've had to abandon the boat. Uh, shark movies really cut right to the core of my primal fears. And uh, so that premise is enough, man. But you had Gary Oldman on top of it. And I'm super excited. I'm, I'm Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming the way you staggered this, you're super excited as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I, I wasn't until I saw the trailer. Uh, oh. I, I I read I read about the premise of the movie and and everything I was like okay I mean that's uh, with Gary Oldman that definitely piques my interest but you know if you know Bob Smith was in this movie I'd be like oh okay Um, but then I saw the trailer for it and it looks bonkers so okay uh, I'm going to I'm going to tell you to watch the trailer for this
1: okay make a note right now
0: yeah, and you can just—I'll put it up on the Facebook group, and you report in the comment section on what you think about it.
1: All right, man, I'm—I'm I'm super excited for that one. And you said October. Yeah, the 11th. Okay, so it'll be in early October. Great, mm-hmm. great. Spread that month. Spread all the good, goodies out across that month. Now, yeah. let's maximize October. Absolutely. So. Uh, oh, man. I'm uh I'm fairly excited about all of those. I, I may not see the Jacobs Ladder remake, but two of those I think I'm gonna end up watching.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I don't think I'll watch the remake for it, but I definitely do think I'll I'll go track it down on Amazon Prime, the Tim Robbins original, mm-hmm. and at least see if it's see if this remake is even worth checking out.
1: Okay. Well, if you if you do that, I'm assuming you'll get to that before I do. Um, let me know what you think. I'd, I'd like to know. Maybe you can throw that in the old Facebook group. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh excuse me. That's going to do it for this week's edition of
0: Jeff H Trailers.
1: All right, man. Well, we've got some good stuff in
0: this week's horror. horror.
1: So, I'm going to just start off um More general and move toward uh, some news that that has uh, relevance for scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, So they're not going to be staggered for priority, but they're going to be staggered for relevance, if that makes sense. Sounds good to me. All right, man. Well, I've already put this up in the We Saw Something Scary Facebook group because I thought it was chock full of goodies. But to make it official for the podcast, Mike Flanagan gave a really interesting interview to birth, movies, death. Uh, On one hand, I was delighted to read it because, yay, I get to know more about what Flanagan's got going on. Uh, On the other hand, I was really sad that we've never interviewed him. Yeah, there it is. (sighs) But he was talking about his upcoming projects. I'm just going to throw two of the nuggets at you and you can react to them however you want. One, he says that the forthcoming Haunting of Bly Manor is, quote, unbelievably scary. He says, I already think it's much scarier than season one. So that would be our beloved Haunting of Hill House there that season one.
0: Okay, I mean, that's interesting to hear. Um, I mean, I, I don't guess that's a huge shock, though, man, like I didn't. Think that Hill House was particularly all that scary. There were definitely scary parts, but it, to me, it was just a good like family drama mm-hmm. with like with horror peppered in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, we're tracking really close there. I thought that Haunting of Hill House was. I mean, people can listen to our longer review if they haven't already. But Haunting of Hill House was legitimately scary. It just doled the scares out in uh, careful fashion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, all I was just going to say that I uh I have a friend of mine at work who um needed something to watch. He said he asked me, he said, should I watch Hill House? I said, absolutely. And he said, well, I'm not big on scary stuff. And I said, I said, it's fine. There's you know, there's enough peppered in that you'll you'll get scared. But it's not like it's not just 24 seven scares. And uh, I think he either finished it or is close to finishing it, finishing it and has loved it. Oh, so. yeah. good deal. I
1: mean, I'm mean, i not surprised, but yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm always glad to hear people hooking into horror who you know maybe don't think it's their thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're we're Flanagan fanboys. Um, just quick review the well, to an extent because <laughs> of the interview thing.
0: Yeah, until he comes on the podcast and does an interview with us, I'm not fully Flanagan fanboy anymore. <laughs> I'm still like Chris Farley show level uh, with that guy. <laughs>
1: just the uh, i was just going to run through them real quick the nail jump scare is the pinnacle right yes um the scene of the floating man kind of chasing the younger version of the younger brother around in the bedroom uh, mm-hmm. looking for his hat and then just the existential dread of what the house did to nail i guess are really the the high water marks for the scares in that series does that sound right mhm yeah well if uh if flanagan can exceed that Either in quantity, meaning just number of scares, or degree of horror, I'm going to be I'm going to be really thrilled with *Blind Manor*.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean that that's really all I need.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I need to try to read the book at some point between now and then. I don't know if I'm gonna do that, but I ought to anyway. Well, I mean, do you feel like you needed
0: you needed to have read the the Hill House book you in know. order to enjoy it? That's a good question.
1: I uh, I really like The Haunting of Hill House, but it's a much different story. Uh, you know, obviously, Flanagan said he'd riff on it, and I think he's doing the same thing with Bly Manor. I suppose it gave me a sense of like being at a family reunion. You know, like I kind of got to come back to that world for another dose. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We've talked about how, you know, I think you and I, at least at, at its at its high, high marks, we're both fans of the Dexter TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love the books and they diverged enough that I felt like I got to have two really enjoyable versions of that character in that world. Mm-hmm. It was something like that with watching this series, uh, the yes. Haunting of Hill House series. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. My bad. did you mean to step on you? The- oh, no, you're fine.
0: I was just going to say, I read Hill House as a child, but I, I barely remember much about it. And so, um, it just really didn't take my, my love away from that
1: series. Hmm. Yeah. OK. Well, I, again, I've never I've never read uh, Bly Manor. Love to hear from our listeners. You could give us a recommendation if you've read it. Tell me if it's worth taking the time to plow through it. I've kind of got a hustle if I'm going to. So I'd love to know if you think it's it's worth a read. Uh, the other piece of news, though, Derek, this is maybe more exciting, is that <laughs> Flanagan said he's he gave us some insight about his next project. Uh, not I say, next project. I think the next thing that will release from him is Dr. Sleep, which will come to theaters, but his next creative enterprise after Dr. Sleep is this thing called midnight mass. Okay. And he says, it'll probably be a limited series, maybe seven episodes, but he also leaves the door open. It might go longer than that. Um, and he says, I'll just read you the quote. Midnight mass is kind of my baby. I've been working on that for six years. I started writing it while o- Oculus was in pre-production. Oh, wow. And it's a very personal, scary little story. For years, I've sat on it and waited for the right moment. For a while, I was like, no one's going to make Midnight Mass. No one will let me do it. And now they'll let me do it. So I'm going to go do it while I can.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds appropriate. You know what else he should do while he can?
1: Interview with us? hmm Yeah, for sure. Listeners, tweet at him. Let him know. Tag us both. Um... You look back on like the sliding doors uh, theories of like history and you see these crucial moments and that brief little moment where we had him booked and uh, we had to rearrange some stuff. I I feel like I should go back and be like, whatever you got to do, man, get this nailed down. Yeah. Uh, Two things on the midnight mass point. I just wanted to throw at you Uh, one. I think if he and he did, if he pulls off Gerald's game, which was supposed to be unadaptable. He's got all the credibility in the world, right? You go to the studio and say, I can adapt anything. Right. Uh, so I'm assuming that door for Midnight Mass is wide open. Uh, here's the second point, and this is where I have a bit of trepidation, and it's actually because of your influence on me. You're welcome. <laughs> your theory about M. Night Shyamalan is is the most credible read on his career that I know about, mm. namely that Shyamalan has his strengths uh, when he is bounded by firm uh, limitations, like a limited budget, you know, limited runtime, things like that. Mm -hmm. And things go deeply off the rails when he's able to just do whatever he wants. And I guess this sounds like Flanagan may be getting the opportunity to do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? Like go big form, all that. And uh, I, I have every confidence in him as a creator. But like I now hear that with just a slight sense of, I don't know, just kind of like this gut instinct of like, oh, this could go this could go poorly.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that, because as soon as you said that, as soon as you were reading that in the interview, that's exactly what I thought. Oh, okay. I was just I was praying to the movie God silently. Please don't let this be his M. Night Shyamalan moment where he screws the pooch, I guess, be the best way. to, Well, that's not the best way
1: to put it, but (laughs) that's the way I'm going to put it. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Uh, it's on the table, right? I mean, you you tell a guy you can do whatever you want, and sometimes the freedom exhausts you. Yeah, uh, I I know what that feels like as a consumer. You're like, you know, if you decide you're going to change deodorants, you go to your local commerce giant, and there's there's a wall of deodorants to choose from. You're like, I just uh, there's too many choices. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: happy for the guy to be able to do what he wants to do. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. the, that's ultimately is the dream as a creator, as an artist, right? Like you want to have the freedom to do the things that you want to do and not the, not be bound to the things that you're told to do. Sure. So, uh, and if anybody deserves it, it's Mike Flanagan, um, personal feelings aside. But also when you hear things like that, um, I'm the same way as you, man. I get a tiny bit of, I don't want to say doubt, but just a tiny bit of, I guess, well, you said it, trepidation. That's the best word, um, that we might be going down a path that leads us to, um, I don't want to say bad content, but content that we're not used to from Mike Flanagan.
1: That's that's well said. I, I just don't think he'll make something... Terrible, but I do think he might make something that isn't accessible to to a lot of people. You know, yeah. kind of like an Ari Aster move, where the guy's got skills, but maybe if he goes full blown, what he wants to do, a lot of people are like you know, not my jam. Yeah, and I, I mean, Flanagan has been such a such an important popularizer of horror that I kind of don't want him to lose that fastball. Right. There's also the Jordan Peele thing. I, I mean, maybe we should do a, uh, an update on this. You and I, I, think, are still really big fans of us, but I've read mm-hmm. a lot of backlash against that movie, and it seems yeah. like the further we get away from it, the more criticism is emerging. Um, You know, I just see that as sort of maybe what we're talking about here with Flanagan, like Peele earned the right to do more of the stuff that was most interesting to him in the moment, and I think it's a great movie, but I also having talked to enough people online and in person who, who didn't connect with it fully, I, I start to realize like, you know, it's probably my prior relationship to Pills artwork that helps me connect to this. So, so readily. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want that. I don't want, I don't want it to hurt his next box office debut or his next TV show or whatever, because he's one of the guys I think should have the green light all the time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, get out is still one of the most ingenious pieces of art I've seen in probably the last 10 to 15 years. Sure. Uh, and so I think in situations like that, you've earned a bit of goodwill. And looking back on it now, having, uh, I rewatched Us recently. I also rewatched Get Out recently just to, you know, you remember when when that when Us came out and I said, I'm not sure if which one's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to need to take a step back and, and rewatch these at a later date. I did that and i I stand by um I stand by get out being the better of the two, but I still really enjoyed us, but there are several people that I have read online and or you know through my social media and things that are that are just now discovering that movie and not enjoying it at all and i I want to talk to them about it, but I also don't want to be wrangled in a debate on anything. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I just I refuse because you know you'll you'll see people that'll get on that bandwagon. And they're like, "Oh God, that movie sucked," and you know, blah 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 blah. And I just I don't I don't have time for that. Um, so it is it is curious to see the the negativity that comes from that, and it's going to happen eventually. Jeff Flanagan's going to put something out that you and I may love or even appreciate, but the popular. Uh, you know the uh, the non-hardcore horror fans are going to crap on, and uh, I hope that it's not this next thing that he does.
1: Yeah, I, I may be in the streets just screaming, "Fight me, at the world!" I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll fight the world for Mike Flanagan. <laughs> and see, guys, that's that's even with with Derek's slight uh, resentment over the interview situation. Imagine what happens when when Mike finally comes on.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm fully committed by that point.
1: Well, Just I... uh, put me in the cult. <laughs> can you be in multiple cults? Like, can we be in the Jordan Peele cult and the Mike Flanagan cult? I need to. I need to know this before I pay my membership dues.
0: <laughs> I hear. Uh, I hear you have a lot of fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. So, oh,
1: okay. Okay.
0: If Creed Bratton taught me anything, that's what he taught me. <laughs>
1: Good, good horror, uh, excuse me, office reference to this, uh, yeah, in this horror podcast. Well, I, I do know that us, I think I, I mentioned earlier. Sorry, I'm stammering over this. I mentioned earlier that like knowing peel better helped me enjoy us more. Mm-hmm. And just thinking through it as you're kind of illuminating the concept there, I knew going into us that I needed to be prepared to start peeling back layers, looking for imagery, looking for symbolism, looking for metaphor. And, I guess Flanagan's work isn't quite as dependent upon stuff like that. So maybe he'll stay accessible a little bit more. I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's a perpetual danger and we're just rooting for maybe the way we'll wrap it up is just that we're rooting for Mike Flanagan to avoid the, to avoid the screwball.
0: Yeah. I also wonder if um, the twilight zone stuff didn't hurt Jordan Peele, like didn't hurt his like mainstream appeal because, and man, I even hate talking about this kind of stuff, but uh there was a lot of like race involved in the episodes of the Twilight Zone that I saw. Yeah. And uh knowing how racially tensioned and that's something that I wanna talk about with this with scary stories to tell in the dark too. Um not necessarily race, but uh politically. Um, knowing just how how big tensions are right now with, with racial political things, I just wonder if a lot of people saw that. And then decided, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna boycott, or, or I'm gonna try to talk trash about this guy so that he doesn't get to make the thing anymore.
1: Yeah, that that could be the case. It's just so regrettable, man. I I'm with you. Like, I feel like we need to talk about these things. I also feel like we don't have the ability to talk about these things. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a, I mean, it's a crushing cultural moment. I, we don't do politics on here. We don't do uh you know we we try not to to go controversial on the podcast so i'm i'm going to tread lightly it's just the the cultural moment is really heavy and rightly or wrongly i can understand uh i can understand peel's impulse and desire to to raise these issues through art i commend it mm-hmm. i also understand the people who are like that's not what i want to do when i turn on a horror movie you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i in some ways our, our cultural moment feels like a horror movie and you don't want to visit it again when you turn the turn of film on like you want that escape mm-hmm. angle now I'm always going to love peel and uh I'm going to be highly interested in his art mm-hmm. but I guess I have a sympathy to people being like can I just see some somebody run around and slash with knives yeah
0: yeah I think I think we've we've brought that up before or like our real life society is scary enough as it is that you you don't want to you don't want to see it when you're trying to like get away from everything that's going on yeah so i i can understand where you know that might be an issue of of contention for people but um it's not for me and i love jordan peele and i i want to see him make all the things in the world and mm-hmm. um, you know I, I feel that same way about mike flanagan not saying that flanagan's ever use like race or pol- politics or anything like that to you know further his point but just um you know in those same situations like those are two guys I think those two guys and Christopher Nolan uh, in my opinion
1: have carte blanche to do whatever they want sure sure and I guess that's the benefit to them like when they when they go in those arenas I don't often feel preached at now I don't I'm not always in agreement I mean I mm-hmm. you know I have my own political uh, positions like everybody else does. So I'm not always like, yes, absolutely, but at least it's interesting and it doesn't feel preachy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I need if you're going to delve there. Uh, but you know, to, to go back to our earlier point, if, if our listeners don't understand what I'm saying. About, you know, people needing to escape. I I think, like you said, our real world is scary in a way we can't control Mm -hmm. and can reach out and hurt you at any moment. And I feel like one of the reasons people like horror movies is that it's horror. You can it scares you can control. You're the one pressing play. You can check your phone if you need a break. You can hit pause and you can definitely stop the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. Maybe the maybe what we don't want is horror uh, that we're supposed to be able to control, reminding us there's a whole bunch of horror that we cannot control. Yeah, well said. Uh, that that got dark, man. <laughs> hey, the, the scary movie podcast got dark. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's 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 clean that up, Derek, by going to a place of bright sunshine known as the Firefly Funhouse. House. Yeah, uh, so this is a part
0: of the show where we're going to lose a lot of you. Um, <laughs> so if you want to fast forward, I completely understand. Um, those of you that are professional wrestling fans and want to listen to Jeff and I geek out for a minute, uh, please stick around. But uh, for those of you that don't, we'll, uh, we'll time stamp this or something so that you don't have to listen to all this talk about guys in their underwear wrestling each other.
1: Can I put an advertisement in to the, the non-wrestling uh, fan here? Mm -hmm. I legit think that there is an appeal to what Bray Wyatt did at SummerSlam to even like mainstream horror fans who think there's nothing in professional wrestling that would ever appeal to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, yeah, feel free to skip ahead. I get it, guys. But if you trust our our recommendations on scary stuff at all. I would encourage you to get on YouTube and watch Bray Wyatt's uh, intro. He, he's going also by the name The Fiend. Watch him come to the ring for SummerSlam 2019. And just tell me if that didn't tickle your horror fancy. Yeah. Matter of fact, I
0: will put that on our, uh, our Facebook page. Okay.
1: I, I'm just going to say to the listener who thinks this isn't for them, just watch the, it's like what, two minutes? Yeah, it's not, it's not very long at all. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm not trying to convert you to being a wrestling fan. I'm just saying I think if you're a horror fan, this will probably you'll probably geek out a little bit over this. I am, though. I'm trying to convert you into being a wrestling <laughs> fan so that we can talk about it every week. Well, let's just get in, because actually one of the things I wanted to pitch to you is that it may be time for a Saw Something Scary in the Ring update. Yeah. <laughs> actually, as
0: soon as I saw this, I thought, man, it's probably time to— Probably time to revisit Saw Something
1: Scary in the Ring. Yeah, buddy. We're we're in sync on this one. How, how do you want to jump into this? Uh, head first. Okay. Well, can I go as the non-wrestling fan and tell you how I got here, and then you tell me what I've missed and the more informed perspective on it? Yeah, we wowie. Let's do it. Let's do it, bud. Um. So I knew about the Firefly Funhouse uh, segments that were running on the WWE, but I think I only saw the first three. Mm-hmm. And so I was browsing ah, Reddit, actually. I was browsing Reddit Sunday night. I knew that there wasn't anything on the card in SummerSlam that I was definitively wanting to watch. Mm -hmm. But it just something in my in my Reddit feed had, you know, a reference to Bray Wyatt. It's like, wow, or this was incredible. So I pulled up. It was a, a video clip of his entrance. And I watched just enough to see him come through the curtain. And I stopped it and I waited till... Yesterday, I plowed through all the Firefly Funhouse episodes and then I watched the intro in fullness. And it was an experience. I mean, altogether, it was probably a little less than 30 minutes like to plow through. I think there's nine of those Firefly Funhouse things. Mm -hmm. And then to watch the intro, dude, I'm telling you though, it felt like the right way to handle it because it was like in my veins. I was fired up.
0: Yeah, Yeah, man. So I, um, i'm I'm a you know huge wrestling fan and um so profess wrestling nerd and uh probably know more about wrestling trivia and factoids than um, any person should ever know about wrestling and uh but honestly, I've been very checked out on the product lately um, it's just not it's not for me anymore and so and I think one of the reasons why our wrestling podcast died was because you and I both just didn't have enough time to devote to a product that both of us were very negative on. Um, And so it was going to take something really interesting to bring me back into trying to watch it on a regular basis. And the Firefly Funhouse was the thing that I'm I'm not all the way back in um, on on the WWE main product. Um, but I was very curious to see how this was going to play out, and uh, I I haven't had a chance to watch SummerSlam 2019 yet. I've heard the only thing that I've heard about from SummerSlam night, uh, 2019 was the uh, the Fiend character, and so I as soon as I got home from the movie last night, I fired up my WWE Network and I watched it, and then I rewatched it because my jaw was dropped the entire time Mm -hmm. and um it takes a lot (laughs) to drop to drop my jaw anymore especially when it comes to wrestling and this did it so i i'm thrilled about it but at the same time i'm automatically like when are they gonna jack it up
1: yeah i mean i so resonate with that And I I hate being like that. I really
0: do. But, you know, I I think that you and I both have that kind of sinking feeling about the wrestling product right now. Um, I I don't want to get too geeky on here, but well, more so than we already are. But, um, you know, there's there's talk of Vince McMahon moving my beloved NXT to FS1 on Wednesdays and making it two hours long mm-hmm. and then and then he and Kevin Dunn are gonna have to get more involved in oh, the product. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh so I started making plans to go see them in St. Louis in September because I was like this will probably be the last time I get to watch NXT the way that I enjoy watching NXT. Um if if all of that comes to fruition. So it's uh <laughs> dark times, dark times in these wrestling days, but the Fiend man is incredible. Bray Wyatt, uh, for those of you that have been with the podcast uh, since the early stages, we did a a spinoff show called Sauce of the Scary in the Ring, which evolved into uh, the Mega Potters. But our first episode was on the character Bray Wyatt. And Bray Wyatt um, is the most supernatural character that I've seen in the last 10 years um, in professional wrestling. And a character that resonates with wrestling fans um he's a quote-unquote bad guy but he has thousands if not millions of fans um who sing along in the arenas who hold their cell phones up like uh fireflies um he's just he's a he's a character that has evolved through the years he used to be like a southern squid billy cult leader yeah um squid billy is a good comparison Yeah, uh, that has evolved over time into other um, machinations and things. But this this fiend character is uh, truly something to behold. And Bray now is uh, the host of this thing called the Firefly Funhouse, the Firefly Funhouse. Easy for me to say. And I think I messed it up there, too. The Firefly Funhouse. There it is. And um, in that he is essentially like Mr. Rogers, Mm -hmm. but there's these real creepy overtones. There's these evil pictures that pop up um, even in like split second frames. You know, sometimes you blink and you'll miss them. Uh, And he has channeled all of his rage, all of his anger, all of his hostility into this new persona called the fiend. And, um The Fiend has these two uh, gloves, I think, that say hurt and hate on them. Hurt and heal. Hurt and heal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he wears a, uh, I mean, an insanely creepy mask that was designed by Tom Savini.
1: Okay. So I kept hearing about Tom Savini being involved. I didn't know if it was the mask or the lantern. So I'm glad you covered that up. We'll talk about the lantern in a minute. Keep, keep telling everybody what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. So, um, just this crazy mask, um, colored contacts and stuff. And he is basically Bray Wyatt's murder, death, kill persona. And, uh, so Bray has been coming out as this Mr. Rogers type person with the firefly Funhouse and, uh, talking to these puppets and these puppets kind of represent, um, Previous incarnations of his of his character, um, there's even one that looked like uh, the owner of the WWE, Vince McMahon, that had devil horns that was telling Bray that he was too fat and he needed to work out. And um, and so anyway, the theme popped up on Raw, uh, which is the WWE flagship show, for those of you that are still listening, that don't know any of the terms I'm using Uh, And he popped up on Raw a few weeks ago and attacked a perennial fan favorite, Finn Balor, who he himself also has a split personality or a different character called the demon. And uh, he uses the demon in situations where he's in a blood feud or he needs uh, a little extra boost. And there's a lot of talk and arguments about that that we really don't need to get into but anyway he attacks Finn uh, a few weeks ago sets up a feud for them for SummerSlam he's been attacking legends um, Mick Foley uh, Kurt Angle Um, Mick Foley used to utilize a move called the mandible claw where he would take his two middle fingers his uh, middle and ring finger and he would jam them into your throat or into your mouth underneath your tongue Uh, there's apparently a uh, I don't know if this is real or not. I've never tried to give myself the mandible claw to find <laughs> out, but it's apparently a paralyzing hold if you put it on the right way and it, it hurts quite a bit. And so that was Mick's finishing move. Uh, so Bray now has kind of adopted that, uh, which is a great hold for this character to use. Um. So anyway, yeah, he, he has his match with Finn at SummerSlam Sunday, uh, walks to the ring. He used to carry a lantern, to the ring, so the whole arena would go black again. That's why the cell phones with the fireflies would go, and Bray would hold up a, a lantern and you know to kind of be the light, the guides, you know, the guides people and
1: uh, playing off the cult leader stuff, exactly.
0: Yeah. And so, this past Sunday, the fiend came out with a lantern, but the lantern was Bray Wyatt's old head, uh, in probably the most shocking part of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, man. So the you know, the old face of Bray there with his dreads and whatnot. And then the lantern is glowing out from his mouth. Yeah. And so it's this distended mouth. Uh, It is super effective, man. Props in wrestling don't always work for me. Uh, But two of them in this thing have worked incredibly well. I, you know, the mask could have been a mistake, but it dude, it works. And, uh, the lantern's the same deal. And in fact, it works so well that I'm like, I'm surprised they put it on their television.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good goal. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy spooky. Um, and it's, it's crazy good. And there's another supernatural character in professional wrestling called the undertaker, and for years, he's been the measuring stick for the WWE. He's been he's he's probably the greatest wrestling character of all time. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. It, it, you know, if if I had to pick a gimmick, I would want to live. I'd probably want to live the Million Dollar Man gimmick. Oh, 100 percent. But in terms of the one that got over and stayed over, it's The Undertaker.
0: Yeah, um, he's probably Vince McMahon's greatest creation Um, that's fully Vince McMahon's, you know, you, you might want to say Hogan or Austin, but I don't feel like that. Either one of those are fully Vince McMahon creations. Uh, the undertaker is beyond a shadow of a doubt. And of course he had an amazing performer that was able to take that vision and run with it. But, um, for years people have wondered who the next undertaker was going to be. And I think that if utilized properly, Bray Wyatt could be that character. Uh, especially this version of Bray could be that character.
1: Yeah, absolutely man. So, just to riff on what you said there, the thing that I've maybe more appreciated out of everything that's went on is how Bray's new look and character is a play on his previous stuff. Mhm. So like, we've got this sunshiny version hosting the kids show who's supposed to be the post-therapy version of the cult leader, um but he snaps. And so he creates these externalized versions of his other issues like Rambling Rabbit and Sister Abigail or Abby the Witch and uh, Waylon the Buzzard. Uh, But then... The, I guess, just the broken character of his psyche eventually brings the fiend in as like a an alpha kind. I mean, you're gonna hate me for saying this, not unlike the Beast with uh, the World of the Glass. Uh, you're not wrong. And uh, dude, it, the the fiend just works. Um, and even that his new theme song is a remix of his other one. It's yeah. just so good, man. It's just so careful and so thoughtful, which is what we, you and I. I know you and I thought Bray could could do something like this if he was turned loose. Right. Uh, All I was going to add to that is just that exactly what you said about the Undertaker, what I hope they do with Bray is keep him out of title feuds, uh, keep him out of, you know, like I I never want to see the Fiend wearing the intercontinental title, use him as an attraction, bring him in as a force of nature. Uh, I really think he could, I mean, Michael Cole said it on the, the broadcast, which is maybe, the closest thing to a kiss of death. But he said shades of the undertaker. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they will, they will keep the fiend strong and just bring him in as something otherworldly. That's going to be one of the great characters of professional wrestling.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that you keep him as the Mr. Rogers type person on like SmackDown and raw. Um, But he doesn't even need to wrestle on SmackDown and raw. Just have him do his Firefly five fun houses Um, have him get into some skirmishes or, you know, have him target whoever the next person is and then don't let him wrestle again until Survivor Series. Hmm. And if you're going to do the, if you're going to do the Raw versus Smackdown stuff that they've been doing lately for the Survivor Series, then don't let him wrestle again until the Royal Rumble. Like just keep this guy, keep this, keep this thing as fresh as possible we don't need to see The Fiend every week. We we don't even need to see Bray Wyatt every week. Um, I just... I want this thing to last as long as it possibly can. And, and unfortunately, my... Um, my disappointment with the WWE, my frustrations with the WWE is is that... Um, because it went over so well this week, the next thing you know, it's going to be... Every week. All over the place. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm with you. I, I'm so Like... The, the one caveat, I think I could be satisfied if just to, for, for the storytelling purposes of like, why is Bray Wyatt? Around, Like if he came out and wrestled and was like a hit or miss kind of guy, you know, he wins some, he loses. Basically the way they've booked Finn Balor over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of this lovable guy who's like, I want to do a good job. I want to show my fireflies the right way to live. And he wins some and he loses some. He's a good sportsman. Kind of the old Waylon Mercy stuff. Mm-hmm. But that just every now and then somebody does something that, that pushes the fiend out. Mm-hmm. and I think I could handle that if they want to keep Bray on TV a little bit. Give us the Mr. Rogers version, make him kind of a ne'er-do-well. But, yeah, the, if The Fiend is coming out, I mean, it, it's uh, it's apocalypse now, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. and the last thing I want to see, because uh, Finn Balor's supposedly going on vacation. Uh, there's rumor and innuendo that he's getting married. There's, uh, there's lots of different things that, um, you know, maybe he just needs to— reset and you know, whatever the situation is. But the last thing that I want to see is I don't want to see Finn Balor come back as the demon and face the fiend.
1: Yeah. Keep, keep those two apart, man. Like that should be, that should be an end times battle. And there's yeah. no way to really do that in the WWE. They should just, they're almost like separate comic book universes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just keep those things in two. like again, one on SmackDown, one on raw, whatever you have to do to just keep it away from each other. Cause yeah. both of them are deeply compelling.
0: Yeah, no, they they very much are, and uh, I just I'm so afraid that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and Finn's that's gonna entirely come, possible. Finn's going to come back and utilize the demon, and that's what's going to neuter this fiend character. And I don't know, man. I'm just I'm very pessimistic about the the main roster, and uh, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. And I just I don't want it to be ruined by. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's even stupid for me to say stuff like this, but. I don't want it to be ruined by people who have seemingly lost their finger on the pulse of what's like good about the genre of entertainment that they create. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just very skeptical and, and worried about what's going to happen.
1: Well, I'm going to tell the listeners, excuse me, the, uh, the WWE creative who continue to listen to us after, after we cancel the mega potters, uh, if you guys have the demon and the fiend lock up, <laughs> What needs to happen is they need to circle each other in the ring, move to lock up for the first time, and the lights go out, and the ring just become a scorching hole. (laughs) And we never know. You know what I mean? Then they just show back up later, and they're king of their own domain. Just do not have one of them go over the other.
0: Yeah, but knowing the WWE, like, they'll pay Sarah Paulson a lot of money so she can come kill them both. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, don't don't rain on my parade, man. Because that first one was perfect. Even that first appearance and first match, I appreciated Finn. You know, there was that. I, I kind of wanted him to just blow through Finn while I was watching the the intro. Mm-hmm. But the uh, they set up like Finn getting some comeback in super well by letting the fiend look conflicted, like the personalities internally are warring. Mm-hmm. So Finn gets some offense in, and eventually the fiend snaps back in and just grabs him by the throat and holds him on the mat till he passes out. Like, dude, it was just perfect booking. If I mean, I guess if everything goes off the uh, the rails, um, we had that one perfect moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, also, Sarah Paulson coming in and killing them was a glass reference. I don't know if anybody got that or not, but
1: yeah, it, it would be. Um, it, it wouldn't be Sarah Paulson. It would be some women. It'd be Stephanie, man. Yes, that's okay. You've nailed it. That's exactly right. And she would be thinking she was helping get it over. Yeah. 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 Man, that went dark again, dude. But listen, listener, if you've hung with us and you're not a wrestling fan, go watch that. Go watch that uh, that introduction to SummerSlam 2019. And if if that whets your appetite, go back and watch the Firefly Funhouse videos on YouTube. I found two with my first search. That was like here's one through four, and here's five through eight, and then you can find nine separately. So it's totally worth watching.
0: Also, if you have the if you have the WWE Network, I would suggest to you to to watch that whole match. Uh, between Finn Balor and The Fiend, because not only is his entrance good, but his exit is really well crafted and planned out as well. And um, I thought it was just really creepy. And um, I I'm, I look forward to seeing what happens. And here's the thing about it. I don't know if this was smart or if it was stupid, but there was no follow up to The Fiend or Bray or anything on Raw last night. Okay. So I don't know if that's, you know, hey, let's let's not overuse it or you know whatever the situation is but like also at the same time it was the only thing that people were talking about after raw or after SummerSlam. so maybe last night was the time to strike
1: but um man leave them wanting more you know like yeah i'll take them not mentioning it over them beating it in the ground so sure let's just (laughs) i'm just gonna believe the best till they tell me not to yeah I will
0: say this, a uh, friend of the podcast, Bruce Pritchard, is one of the creatives that is heading that thing up and has said on multiple occasions, like, y'all ain't ready for what's coming next. Really? So, All
1: right, man. <laughs> I am. I'm ready to not be ready. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know,
0: Pritchard's uh, one of Pritchard's biggest storylines was the Kane and the Undertaker from 97, like the original Kane and the Undertaker. So. I trust Bruce Pritchard with like supernatural stuff.
1: Yeah, just turn Bray loose, man. Just go yeah. ask him what he wants to do. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier the dangers of creative freedom sometimes, but Bray at this point gets to. I mean, he's invented two of the best characters of my life. You know, uh, so just turn him loose until he until he messes something up because he that guy's on a hot streak. Yeah, for sure. Well, if anybody else is still listening, <laughs> who uh, who wants to hear about horror movie content? Uh, can, are we? Uh, is the bag empty on the fiend? Do we? Can we move back towards the movies? Or is there yet more to tell?
0: I uh, know, man. I think we're we're all tapped out on professional wrestling this week. Okay.
1: Well, let me move us closer to the to the marquee here. Um, last bit of news, just as a heads up and sort of a, an appetizer for what we're about to talk about. Andre Overdahl gave an interview to Bloody Disgusting, where he said that he already has ideas for a scary story sequel if fans turn out. He kind of ran through one of the main, uh, you know, opportunities. And he says, we'll do that if we're lucky enough to be able to do a sequel, because that's all up to the audience. The audience has to embrace it, they have to come and see it. Then we can talk about making a sequel, but we have ideas for it. We've plotted out something kind of general in terms. Um, And just to finish it up, he says, I would assume the template won't be too dissimilar because I think exactly what the interviewer told him is true. It is a stealth anthology. Uh, It's it's more like you go into these little scenes that come out of the books. And so I guess, again, not too much of a spoiler there, uh, knowing it's based on a on a book series, but. He sees it as an anthology. He sees it as an opportunity to drop into the individual scary stories to tell in the dark. And uh, if fans turn out, we're gonna get more of it, it sounds like.
0: Uh cool, man. Right. I uh I'll you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say more about that when we get to the main event. So
1: well then let's do that, sir. We'll just call it And are you ready to pull the curtain on scary stories to tell in the dark? Yeah, man, let's do it up. Well, Derek, um, how do you want to get started on this, man?
0: Um, well, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, you and I both are, are avid fans of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both own a copy of the book. Mm hmm. Um, and, uh, I was excited to see the characters that I grew up looking at in those books come to life in this movie.
1: Okay. Yeah. So everything you said there is is spot on just in case nobody knows the backstory. There's a, there's a series of books written by Alvin Schwartz that were sold to, to children in the nineties. Um, but they were really, you know, the, the money in them was really Stephen Gamble's illustrations. Uh, they're super popular would would you agree with me that they did a really great job of adapting Gamble's art in this movie? Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to give too much away. This movie didn't hit every marker for me, but that one landed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I already feel like we're tracking the right way. Uh, before we get into that, Wahlberg.
1: What? No. Spoiler alert.
0: Okay. Um, I just didn't want to get into too much spoilery stuff for we, uh, we brought the boy in.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you, glad you called him in.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, can I just be blunt? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like I've, I've earned that in this podcast. Um, this is a middle of the road movie for me.
1: Yeah. I don't blame you for thinking about that or th- uh, concluding that. I, I have went on a roller coaster with this. I'm going to throw an alternative take on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is in the movie. I was like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. Um,
0: I felt, so I got to go watch this at the Alamo draft house.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Which I just, I just wanted to to bring that up. And uh, it's uh, the Alamo draft house. We've sang its praises here on the show several times, but one of the cool things about it is, is it's like, You know, you you don't need to talk. You don't need to text. You know, if if we see the light of your cell phone, we're going to come talk to you. You get one warning. If we have to warn you again or if we have to come talk to you again, you're getting kicked out. No refund. Like people didn't come here to talk or text or anything like that. They came to watch the movie. So be respectful. And at two periods in the movie, I looked at my phone to see what time it was.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, like risking <laughs> risking being thrown out because I was just like holy smokes this is uh, it, it, when okay uh correct me if I'm wrong on this when when these stories when when they actually are talking about the stories it's a really great movie uh-huh for horror purposes for nostalgia purposes for everything in between but this B story uh, they would have if they would have chopped 15 minutes off of it I think I would have enjoyed this movie a lot more Man.
1: but they're just there're just parts of it where it's you slog through it right out of my own head yeah so so I, I did what since we both see it as sort of a I don't want to say mixed bag but good good and bad component mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can we just start off on the bad and work towards the good sure okay well the thing you just raised is one of the bad things it's just a super thin and tired framing device mm-hmm um I mean, I don't know what criticisms you want to start with, but keep going on that you know that idea that like we could cut out fifteen minutes of this and never lose any value well, it's just it I mean are we watching the
0: ring are we watching the grudge mm-hmm. like what- what little girl done wrong movie are we watching here
1: man that is it's in my notes, yeah, exactly
0: right, and so I was frustrated by that um, I was you know the first like. 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, I'm, I'm interested, right? Like haunted house, that haunted house reminded me of, um, Frigger. Come on, Jeff, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Oh, come on. It reminded me of the house in Sparta.
1: Oh, the big house. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, sir. Sorry. I failed you on that. Uh, Um, that's entirely right. I just didn't think about it.
0: As soon as she was like, you want to go see a haunted house? I was like, Oh, they're going to the big house. Yeah. Like, and, um, (laughs) <laughs> and so I was I was intrigued by all of that. I thought that you know, I thought that the the high school bully thing was pretty cool. Like it gave me it vibes. Mhm. And then we go down this <laughs> and then we go down this girl done wrong, now she's come back as an evil monster for no reason other than cuz she's just, mad. Yeah, just she's upset. And they even kind of call her out on it. Yeah. You know, they're you've like, "You become the monster." Yeah, you've become the monster. And I just I, I just felt like that I've seen that movie countless times and this didn't need it. I would have been happy with an anthology series where you just tie them all together. Like you, you could even do like it, it, there didn't need to be a running narrative through it. Like you could have just we, we've seen uh anthology series before and they're not my favorite type of movies, but I think I feel like you could have done it with this one. Yeah. And it, it would have worked better than scorned girl comes back from hell to take the souls of innocent people that have not done her wrong until her story gets
1: told. See, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, I guess sometimes you and I disagree, but it's also possible that this is the reason why, you know, we're the best analysts in the game because uh, we see it clearly. I thought they would have been better off. Maybe just having the young girl who found the book still have the, the stories writing themselves Mm-hmm. And just have her chasing around, trying to get ahead of it. You know what I mean? Like to be there as an observer. Like mm-hmm. the ghost is making her watch this, uh, and without you know all the the character peril that they they kind of had to to force in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what well, you called uh, you know the girl done done wrong setup is exactly right. And I'm actually disappointed in Andre Overdahl for doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, and the reason I say that is. He did the exact same thing with the autopsy of Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. She was a girl done wrong. Um, But it was so much more original. Uh, This, like you said, he took the, the same concept as the film that put him on the map and just stretched it over saw something – or excuse me the uh, <laughs> in my brain. dude dude when i went to, when i went to get
0: my tickets last night i said that yeah <laughs> i said i need i need tickets for saw something nope i don't i need uh I need tickets to scary stories so I, that's pretty funny
1: if someone out there who's listening had the same experience or is willing to lie to me that you had something <laughs> similar happen that would make my day yeah uh but he took he took the autopsy of jane doe premise stretched it over scary stories and man, I just expect more from that guy. Yeah. So I, I was really frustrated about that. Yeah. I I was
0: very frustrated with that. And so, you know, we talked about like, Oh, um, Mike Flanagan gets a pass or, um, peel gets a pass or Christopher Nolan gets a pass. I would have said that about Andre Overdahl until watching this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now he's much more of a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was trying to think through what's the alternative take on the one that you and I share. And I think the, the person who thinks we're wrong would say something like the money is in the monsters from the books. So who cares about the meta narrative? Right. Like, mm-hmm. give me Harold and we're cool. Um I I hear that, but don't telegraph that the meta narrative is a throwaway. Yeah. If anything, just go with an observer. Don't try to give me extra characters and extra story. If you're going to go this thin, just do away with it. Uh it's it's just yeah. a missed opportunity, I think. Yeah. Do you do you remember that god awful anthology series we watched with the DJ?
0: What like Hellbound or whatever? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm talking oh, about? yeah.
1: Uh yes. I, I think it was southbound but it came southbound. from south so that's right yeah
0: um I got huge southbound va- vibes when that DJ came on
1: <laughs> Yeah
0: um but the the crazy part about it is is that I think this would have been a perfect a perfect series for like something like that to be your narrator
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just see these because cuz you're right that's what we wanted we came to see the monsters Yep and um
1: and they know, delivered man. the monsters. I just, if we're going to completely commit to it's just about the monsters, it's just about those scary stories individually, let's just strip off the overlong slog through the lives of the uh, even more losery Losers Club. Mm-hmm. Which that actually brings me to the next thing I wanted to run by you. The problem with the characters here, not just are they part of this like soup thin. Framing device, but they all felt like someone who was every character felt like they were a derivative of a better horror character. Yep. So I'm going to throw these comps at you. You tell me if I've nailed it or if there's a better one. OK. OK. So Stella, uh, I took her to be a younger version of Naomi Watts character in the ring. Yeah. She's chasing after the ghost story. She's sympathetic to the ghost. She gets caught up in the events of the life of the ghost. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I think Augie is generic Mike Wheeler from Stranger Things. He's a he's a straight laced dude who has a crush on a girl and through that kind of gets caught up in in friendship with other people, gets caught up in these events that are beyond his ability to initially anyway, get his head around. OK, uh, Chuck is a infinitely worse version of Richie Tozer. Mm hmm. And then the sister is just there, which I'm okay with, but she's just there to have spiders crawl out of her face. Yeah. Yeah. Again, disappointed, Andre. Like, give me an original character here and there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, you got Ramon. Yeah, yeah, I guess Ramon is unique. Uh, He doesn't have much to do except be the good guy, though. Yeah, but can I tell you that he felt very...
0: Tacked on, mm-hmm. and again, uh, and again, maybe it's just our political climate and stuff. But it it felt like, oh, I need to make a statement with this movie, so I'm going to bring in this Puerto Rican Hispanic um, actor, so that I can be like, oh yeah, brown kid, you don't belong
1: in these parts, or well, and the heavy handed Vietnam War stuff, which I don't think yeah. you and I, I mean, we're not proponents of the Vietnam War stuff, but like it did seem shoehorned in to be like, it's about more than scary stories. Yeah. No, man, I'm, I'm right on there with you. I hadn't thought about it, but right there with and, you. And it just, it left a really bad taste in my
0: mouth when, uh, as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw that cop approach uh, approach Ramon and be all like Southern racial bad mm-hmm. cop. I was like, this is not what I want. And then obviously there's going to be, Again, I, I I hate talking about this stuff, but it's it's prevalent, uh, especially in this movie. But there's obviously, you know, uh, people are going to compare Donald Trump to Richard Nixon. Sure. And it sure. just felt it just felt like it felt like that del Toro and um Overdahl both were trying to have political undertones in this movie that for no reason needed to be there. Yeah.
1: I mean, we got the, you know, if, if they, and again, we're not taking the position one way or the other, we're just saying it doesn't belong right. in the movie, but to make it as explicit as possible, very early on in the movie, we got the Nixon with the Nazi symbol on the poster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, this is, uh, this is unavoidable for you. Yeah. And it didn't help anything, man. It, it just didn't add to the movie. Right. Um. And, and, you know, if it did,
0: Then it would be different. It'd be one thing, Mm -hmm. but it just it just felt like an unnecessary subplot. The um, Vietnam War felt like an unnecessary subplot. And there was just a lot of unnecessary stuff in this movie that bogged it down. But let me say this. Um, I went and watched this movie with like six of my friends from work. We had a we had a one show day yesterday, and so just to kind of blow off steam, we we're like, "Hey, let's go, let's go watch a movie." Uh, I was going to watch this movie anyway, and they were, you know, they just all decided that they want to come with me, which was cool. And so we watched this, and they were terrified the entire time. Really?
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, good, man. I, I'm I'm also going to say there's some scary stuff in it, so I'm just glad to hear you bring us back positive.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, I wanted to I wanted to say that I felt like for people like you and you and I and, and probably like our core group of listeners, um, while there are some scary some scary stuff, and while this did scratch an itch for me, um, it it wasn't the movie that I wanted. But to people who don't normally go see scary movies, uh, they all had a
1: blast. Okay. Well, I'm I'm really I'm really delighted to hear that in all honesty. Yeah. And I want to get to positive. Can I throw can I just throw one other problem with the character well, two actually, two more problems with the characters at you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh one of these is less of a problem than the other. Um Chuck as the comedic relief was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, again, he's like derivative of other characters. I went with Richie Tozer, but he's also, he kind of has like a lisp or some kind of strange pronunciation that made me think of Dustin from mm-hmm. Stranger Things. And it feels like this movie would be better if multiple things were taken out of it. So we take 15 minutes out of the meta-narrative. Uh, you pull out, I guess, about 70% of Chuck's lines. And this movie is noticeably better, in, in my opinion. I think I would have come yeah. away much more positive about the the story and the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other issue, and this is a uh, ground I want to tread lightly on because I only, I only met this concept through that uh, uh, horror noir documentary that shutter uh, put out. Okay. And I was captivated by that as we talked about at the time, but for a movie that thinks it's, you know uh, it's kind of raising its weight class by talking about political stuff. They made use of the magical Negro trope. Mm-hmm. That yeah, they did. That older black woman is just there as a plot device. Um, and, and listener, if you're not familiar, uh, I'm just going to read it off TV tropes um, dot org uh, again. And this is a concept that the documentary we would strongly recommend to you called horror noir kind of elaborates more uh, more fully but the, the magical Negro is a character that only exists to move the story forward on behalf of the normally white protagonist and uh, has to have some sort of magical uh, characteristics like they're, they kind of don't belong to the world of the movie. So Bagger Vance is something that horror noir cited. Um, the first Annabelle movie had a version of this Um it it's, it did didn't it? I forgot about that. Yeah, it's just reducing this person to an instrument for the furtherance of the uh, the central character, and you can read more about that on TV tropes or wherever you want to search for. It. But I just thought, like, how how blind are you? Uh, no pun intended, because that character had <laughs> bad eyesight, but you know, oh we got to talk about Vietnam, we got to talk about draft dodging, we got to talk about people of color and immigration and then you just roll out one of the the most empty tropes that's available you know to a storyteller. Yeah. Uh again, I I'm, I'm not giving up on overdoll, but I I mean the overriding sense is just disappointment.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. It, um gosh, I'm so glad that that you said this. I I will say that overall I enjoyed the movie yeah. and had a lot of had a lot of fun with it, but um, I, I was pumped about this movie and it did not live up to my expectations, but not only did it not live up to my expectations, it tacked on what I thought was a bunch of unnecessary stuff.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, we've spent a lot of time being critical here. I genuinely, generally and genuinely ultimately ended up liking this movie. So I'm going to try to transition to some better stuff and I'm going to throw you my alternate take. Okay. Okay. So we started with saying how faithful uh, the adaptation of Gamble's art went. Mm-hmm. And that's the strength of the movie to me. Uh, so I created a chart and I'm going to I'm going to walk through the individual scary story monsters and give them a description. And you can just tell me what I got right, what I got wrong or what I should have went, you know, how I should have went in a different direction. OK, so uh, I'll go from I, I'll, I'll save the best for the last on this. Number one, when it came to when it came to the jangly man. Mm -hmm. Did they pay licensing fees to Peter Jackson for the use of Gollum? Yeah, dude. That's the first thing I thought of. And even the way he talked was a little Mm -hmm. Gollum-ish. And, you know, here's the thing. That was probably the least effective monster in the story for me, but it was still fine. You know, the body horror thing and the crawling around and all that, that's fine. Like, it's genuinely upsetting. And, And to, like, your coworkers, I can get why they'd be freaked out by that. Right. So I'm not beating up on it. I'm just like, man, this is straight up Gollum. (laughs) Y'all need to call Weather Studios and say, hey, we're going to send you a check.
0: Yeah. Um, did you know that the guy who did that uh, was actually like a lot of that wasn't CGI? That was practical effects.
1: Oh, dude, that makes it better. That yeah. makes it a lot um, better.
0: Uh, the the gentleman that did it, his name's Troy James. He's a
1: contortionist. Dude, that's super cool. That OK, so that'll be the first thing I go back to look for when I rewatch this movie. Yeah. OK, well, that, that ramps it up considerably. He was like the weakest link to me. Uh, again, as a general strength, nonetheless, like the weakest strength and, uh, that it being, it was practical is even better.
0: Yeah. I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. All
1: right. The, um, the next one I've got for you is under the heading better than I expected. And it was the pale lady in the red room. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a tired again. Uh, you know, some of this stuff can't help but bleed over into each other, you know, running down the hallway and seeing the monster still be there ahead of you is, is pretty tiresome. But that multiple versions converge and just the look of the character. I really thought it would be goofy uh, when I heard she was included, but I thought it was pretty effective, particularly the way it just ingests uh, Chuck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the pale lady looks really stupid. (laughs) Yeah. But when you see her in this movie, there's a real like, oh, God, type of feel to it. Mm hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I was with you. I thought I thought it was going to be kind of laughable. But, um, you know, there's there's a real claustrophobic sense to that character. Um, You know, just the fact that she keeps closing in on Chuck and then, yeah, just the way she absorbs it was uh, was really cool.
1: I'll tell you this. I avoided every trailer for this movie, you know, like the plague. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I didn't see that character in a trailer. I think if I had seen it early on that whole scene, the value of it would have went went away for me. Sure. Because just the ability they had to pull it off is maybe the most important part of my praise of that monster. And, uh, yeah, again, I'm just glad this trailer didn't ruin it for me. Uh, Two more, and there may be more monsters I'm thinking of, but two I want to highlight for you. Can we talk about Harold for a minute? Yes, please. So is Tommy's living uncle Ed Gein? (laughs) Because he straight up made a leatherface scarecrow he he did um
0: <laughs> that's a really good that's a really good question. I don't know man maybe maybe that's how they rolled in the sixties
1: well, so that's that's my next note. um I, I think our listeners, if you've listened to many episodes, know I live in a very rural uh, community. I have my whole life come from a family of farmers, I live backed up to my family's farm even now. I've seen scarecrows. Uh, I've helped stuff scarecrows and I'm going to borrow from Lloyd Benson. Uh, I have seen scarecrows, sir. And Harold is no scarecrow. <laughs> Somebody in Tommy's house done killed a dude and stuck his face on a scarecrow.
0: Yeah. it that, Again, golly, man, it's, it's almost like we're the same person. Um, that's the first thing I thought of too. So I was like, there's no way I'd ever see that scarecrow walling.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause we're not serial killers. Yeah, and it's not as far as I know. Yeah.
0: Also, although if, if that's if that scarecrow is uh, across the street from Gum Springs Baptist Church, that would tell a lot.
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing. If that scarecrow shows up anywhere in the real world, 1968 or otherwise, everybody in that family is immediately taken into to custody for questioning. Yeah. And whatever ability they have to do CSI work, they're going to have like the FBI or whatever out there trying to figure out whose face that is. They wrapped around the, the corn. Yeah. And, and again, this is praiseworthy like Harold is scary he looks just like the the art in the in the books that's what they needed to do the uh the stalking Tommy through the corn is old and tired, but they did it really well mm-hmm. it's just one of those deals that it's kind of it kind of takes you out it jars you out at my too that they didn't kill somebody and made a scarecrow out of their face
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a it's incredibly Uh, it's a, it's a visual, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're right. I'm just going to leave it there.
1: (laughs) Visual roadblock. Maybe it kind of stops your disbelief. Yeah.
0: Well, it's just visually, it's just very stunning, Mm -hmm. but practically there's no way that it would ever, it would ever happen.
1: 100%. Um, Yeah. So, uh, and, and the fact that like it's rocking Tommy's jacket and all that, like that's just going to raise questions that family's not prepared to deal with. Um, yeah, man. Uh, it, uh, again, like it, <laughs> it speaks bad to us as a society
0: that we immediately think, oh, the brown kid did it instead of thinking like, oh, maybe that kid got turned into a scarecrow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, I guess is kind of crazy, but like whoever killed Tommy or, or rather, Tommy is no longer a missing person's case, right? Like right. as soon as the clothing is on the scarecrow, everybody's like, yeah, we're looking for a dead guy. This is a murder yeah. investigation. Yeah. Um, but the the best one to, to get to actual explicit praise, I really thought the corpse with the missing toe sequence worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. You know who, you know who played that corpse, right? Uh, was it Airboy, uh, Botet? Yep. Harvey Botet. My man. That guy just, uh, he just keeps bringing the heat, man. Yeah. He's so good. Good job, Andre Overt. I've been beating you up, but casting Botet is the right move there. Yep. Yep. Uh, I thought, <laughs> I mean, he yeah, it's it's I think it's the scariest part of the whole
0: movie It's the best part of the whole movie. Um, you know, it's the first time you lose a character that you care about mm-hmm. and uh, probably the one that sticks with you through the rest of the movie. So
1: and it actually uh, to, to overdose credit. I'm a hardened veteran of many horror movies. I knew as the kids crawling out of the out from under the bed, he's about to get it. Sure. But uh, him getting snatched under the bed and you immediately see the face of that corpse uh, before he's snatched under the wall. That worked for me. Like I jumped a little bit in my seat and I thought, okay, okay, I knew it was coming and you still managed to spook me a little. Kudos to you. Yeah, I
0: made a point to watch my friends through that whole thing with Mm -hmm. the big toe and the stew and all that stuff like i just made a point to watch them and they were all just like oh oh god oh god (laughs) um some said more explicit words that we can't say on the podcast than that but uh when augie gets drug under the bed they
1: all jumped yeah yeah kudos Kudos, on Andre. It's not all criticism here. We still got some love for you on the Sauce on the Scary Podcast. Yeah. And, and you know what? Not only kudos to
0: him, but also uh, kudos to Del Toro as well, because you could tell he heavily influenced this movie. Mm. And, and not only that, but I think that he's a huge influence to overdoll anyway. Sure. And so uh, it just really seeps out you know, through this movie. I don't know if it was a collaboration like you know, Overdahl probably directed it, but I feel like it was more of a collaboration between the two of them than it was anything. And not saying that that's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I I guess from either one of those guys or both, I, I just look at you know like maybe maybe they just had limited resources and limited time, and they thought if we're going to nail anything, let's get the the story elements. Uh, excuse me, the the elements coming from the book series right. And if that's the case, I, I can't fault them for that. But man, those guys solo sp- and definitely combined should be able to get us something better than, like you said, traumatized girl becomes a monster and all the you know the tropes we've talked about all that. Like those guys are better on their off days than than some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Was there was there another monster? Or did we cover them all? There um, there's a spider face thing, which I'm glad we they included.
0: Yeah, we 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 didn't cover the spider face. Um, I don't think there was anything else. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Pale lady, big toe, red spot, Harold, me Tie, Dodie Walker. I mean, you could, I guess you could talk about the haunted house at the end of it, but I don't really feel like that that was much of a monster vignette as it was just a conclusion to the movie.
1: Yeah. They called out a couple other stories, right? Like the sewer rat as a pet at one point. Mm hmm. Uh, I appreciate those little bits of fan service. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, also, I love the sheriff in this movie. I know like he's sort of the bad guy, you know, sort of like a again, a quote unquote racist sheriff. But um, <laughs> when that head comes down, it was genuinely my laugh out loud moment of the whole movie.
1: Yep. And he what? did exactly like that's the most realistic part of anything in these paper thin characters. He's like, all right, cool. Yeah. I'm going to empty my it wasn't a clip. I'm going to empty my revolver into this thing. That's exactly what you do if you have a firearm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was very convenient, though, that the uh, the jangly man threw the body with the keys on it over to the to the cell. I appreciated him <laughs> moving the plot along that way. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's nothing if he isn't proficient. Yeah. It's, he's a servant that way. So I'll tell you what, I, I guess my bag's empty. What if, what have if you wanted to talk about we haven't covered?
0: Uh, man, I, I really... I, I guess the only thing that I w- would want to talk to you about is actually just ask you the question, if if this movie does well, which I don't know box office-wise how it did, um, I'm pretty sure Hobbs and Shaw won the weekend again, but um, If it if it does well and they're looking at doing a sequel, are you I mean, obviously we'll watch it. But do you have the same kind of hype that you had for the first one?
1: No, not at all. I mean, the same kind of hype is is impossible because they I mean, we've seen the delivered product. Your imagination's always better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they just let us down on some stuff. And so you can't help but think they'll let you down more in the sequel. Yeah. Having said that. You know, if, if I had the lever, does it get a sequel or not? This is you said middle of the road and I'm with you, but this is good enough and like commercially appealing enough that I would sign up for a sequel. I would flip the lever to go ahead and make the sequel. OK, I care enough about Augie to see if Stella can recover him from wherever he's <laughs> at. Um Not so much Chucky, you know, if we've lost him. You know, sometimes you just have to take a nail. Yeah. Um, but I would. Yeah, I would come back. I would come back with much more. Uh, I don't know uh, you said already, much lowered expectations. Yeah,
0: I um, I don't think I want to see a sequel to this movie. OK, well, I can't argue. Uh, I enjoyed it. But there just wasn't enough. Uh, and, and again, I think I'm in the minority on this because um, my friends, when they when they saw what was going on, uh, you know, my friend looked at me and she said, do you think that they're going to bring Augie back? Like, do you think they'll you think they'll do a sequel? And I said, Or she said, do you think they they had the ability to bring Augie and Chuck back? And I said, well, if this make, movie makes
1: enough money, they will. For sure. Um, And Overdahl has said as much, you know, that, that was the character that in in the last bit of the horror reporter there, that was the one he was referencing. Somebody specifically said, what about getting Augie back? And he's like, if the, if the fans show up, we've got a, we've got a mechanism for that to happen. So, yeah.
0: Um, and uh, I I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm really poo-pooing on this when I, I did. It, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that I would have had as much fun watching it by myself um, as I did with a group of friends. But I feel like that's movies in general. Um, you know, there's certain movies you can watch by yourself and and it doesn't matter. But you know, movies like this, you need to be with friends in order to really enjoy it. And um, but yeah, if. I think I was just so hyped about it because I love those books so much. And they're such a, a staple of my childhood that it, uh, it just didn't live up to, to what I wanted. It's good. And I, I recommend it, but I also recommend that you go into it with low expectations and enjoy the monsters Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and enjoy those, enjoy those scenes and just try to get through the other stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with you, and I feel like there's a version of me that's very much just saying the exact same thing you said. So I could be I could be talked into just giving up my alternative read, but I'm going to throw you my alternative take. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm very curious. The thing I loved about those books and I think made them so popular is that they knew they were being sold to a younger demographic but they didn't back off from trying to horrify you and only horrify you. Mm-hmm. They they didn't, you know, there was elements that weren't included, right? I mean, elements this movie included, and and certainly they didn't include sexuality. But they really did try to scare you. And I, it, it kind of like treating a young reader with respect as, mm-hmm. a, as a consumer of horror is, is what I think is so valuable about those books. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking through... You know, how does this movie square up and who do I recommend this movie to and what kind of grade will I put on it? And the question of who I recommend this to uh, actually brought me to some clarity in that I feel like this movie is horror for a younger crowd. Again, it tries to do some political stuff, but it avoids teenagers having sex or Mm -hmm. using drugs or or some of the stuff that like parents aren't going to be delighted to send their younger kids off to watch. Right. Mm -hmm. But it does try to scare the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. And so I came to kind of kind of see this as not just with the art using the monsters that Gamel drew, but in the idea of like we're not going to pull punches in terms of scares in a movie that we're aiming at a younger audience. It was really faithful to the book series in that way. Okay, I feel like you know if if, if this is Goosebumps. Goosebumps tries to scare the audience a little bit, but then kind of chilled him out with a lot of comedy. Mm -hmm. And they literally absorbed the comedic element of this movie about halfway through in one of the monsters. He was overdone up until that point. But I kind of liked that they were like, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to mitigate the fear by throwing you comedy. We're going to be done with that. And so I feel like this thing is faithful to the to the art of the books, but I also feel like it's faithful to the to the spirit of those books. It, it may not be the movie I would want made of them, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of feel like it was faithful. Uh, you know what, Jeff? That's a really interesting
0: take. And I don't I don't disagree with it. Um, actually, I the more I sit here and absorb it, I I, I want to go with that just because I want to be positive about this movie. Sure, sure. Well,
1: I am the horror uncle.
0: Yeah, you are. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good take. I really do. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to go with it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just to kind of make all things, uh, unclear as possible. It is hard to get past the disappointment you feel with a movie too. Sure. You know, I I, like that's the, that's the taste left in your mouth. Even as a guy who like, okay, I can actually see on a meta level, something better. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hard to get past the aftertaste.
0: It is. It is. Um, But again, I'm going to tell you that if you go into this movie as a uh, as a fan of the books, you're going to be rewarded Mm -hmm. in a way that I'll probably never watch that movie ever again. But I'm really glad that I took some friends of mine to go see it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And at the end of the day, I mean, isn't that what like, you know what I mean? Like, isn't that what movies are about? Um, they don't have to be Get Out all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be uh, End Game. They don't have to be uh, Shawshank Redemption. You know, there. Sometimes it's just nice to get together with some friends and watch their reaction when spiders pop out of a girl's face. <laughs> sure, sure. You know what I mean. And uh, so yeah, it, it wasn't the movie I wanted. Um, it, it, it's it. It probably isn't even the movie that I you know. Again, like I said, it's, it's not a movie that I'll probably revisit. Um, maybe, you know, it'll be like that what that Tim Robbins movie. Right. Mm-hmm. That we were talking about earlier where he's like, oh, it's on Amazon Prime for free. Yeah, sure. I'll put it on. Check it out. Um, but I think that if you're a fan of the books and, you know, those books got a lot of flack back when we were kids, man. They, you know, they took a lot of flack for being too, uh, too scary and too visually disturbing and things like that. And, and from what I even from what I, I've read and, and heard, you know, they were banned like some some children's libraries and stuff banned them because they were too scary for kids. And so, you know, maybe the best way to look at this is that it, it's not for us. You know those books were for our genre, or excuse me, for our generation. But this is a whole new genre and a whole new generation of of kids, and maybe that's who they're trying to appeal to now. Is you know, hey, you liked Goosebumps? Hey, did you think Goosebumps was a little too corny and a little too cheesy? Well,
1: here's something for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that I thought the acting was
1: atrocious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, You know, Stella constantly pushing her glasses up and doing all the exposition was not a strength either, but you're right yeah. about the characters. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. The acting was really bad and, and it, it kind of took me out
1: of the, out of
0: the movie a little bit. And I feel like we'd be doing our fans a disservice service if we didn't mention that real quick. But, um, but yeah, man, it, it wasn't, It wasn't the movie I wanted, but it was fun to see those monsters that I have had in the back of my head since I was a kid uh, come to life on the big screen. So,
1: yeah, I think that's good analysis, man. I I can tell you I will watch this movie again. Um, I'll probably watch at least the jangly man thing to to look for the physical physicality that I assumed was blue screen. But, you know, as a guy who wants my kids to ramp up into horror affection, we've started with like as I've talked about before, Scooby Doo, uh, we've done some goosebumps. We're also now dipping our toes into Are You Afraid of the Dark? This yes. is the next evolutionary step, right? Like I'm gonna watch this with my kids someday, assuming I live long enough to do so. Sure. Uh and, and, and in that way I'm gonna enjoy it because again, coming back to our love for the books, it respects people enough to try to legitimately scare them and not not let their you know, not take its foot off the gas. Sure. Which is why I love them as a kid and why, you know, the adults freaked out about it. But I'll uh, I'll come back to this one with, you know, in honesty, some degree of affection because it reminds me of the books I loved and because it'll give me a bridge into my, you know, my, hopefully my developing horror fandom in my children. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, man, I think that we've exhausted everything about this movie that, that we can. Um, I can't really think of anything else that I wanted to talk about or. I mm-hmm. bring up. So let's get to it, Jeff, on a scale of one to 10, where are you ranking this movie?
1: You know, it was cinematically pretty strong. Like the, the movie making details were good. I thought it was as, you know, spoiling a previous question, there was some legitimate scares in it and it was really faithful to a book. I loved, but also disappointing. So I'm going to give it precisely 6.5.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I th- I think from nostalgic point of view with the monsters and stuff i could probably ramp it up to like an eight um but with the way that the story went and how it kind of bogged down the monsters and the things that i came to see i six and a half is is a a good solid number for it did we see something scary uh, I think so. Let me real quick. Let me ask you this. Would you say this is perfectly acceptable horror or right above it?
1: I think it's that's why I went six and a half. It's just above it. It did okay. the nostalgia part. Well, it looked good and it actually scared me. So, yeah, it's probably perfectly acceptable for people like us. who yeah. who probably have a little bit higher uh, mark for for what acceptable horror is. But I think for almost anybody, this is going to be like, yeah, scary movie. Those are good stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and yeah, definitely thought it was scary. Uh, I don't think that there were any moments in it where like I legitimately got scared or, or anything, even with the Augie in the bed and stuff. But again, watching my friends get terrified was a lot of fun. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we dumped on it a lot. I'm probably more positive than you are. Uh, I hope listeners kind of come away with a sense that like we saw some big flaws here, but can also appreciate the strengths of the movie.
0: Yeah. I, I, again, like, when I when I came out of the movie last night, I I texted a friend of mine who had seen it, and she told me that she really enjoyed it. And the first thing I told her was was that like, hey, I, I you know just got out of uh, scary stories, really enjoyed it. And then the more that it, like you know I drove home and and uh, was thinking about it last night and stuff, it just the the stuff about uh, I, again any time that I look at my phone in a movie, that's not a good that's not a good sign. Uh, um, but then, just like the political stuff and the you know the pseudo racial racist oh my goodness racial stuff, um, it just kind of it, it bogged it down for me. But I really did when when you take all that stuff away, it's it's a fun story even if we have seen it several different times. So I know that we did. I know that we were pretty critical about it, but I just feel like that those are flaws that need to be addressed and. Um, Uh, And and again, if you're if you go into this movie without the preconceived notions, then I think you're going to walk out of this movie having a lot of fun. But if you're like me or Jeff or people who've read the books, it's it's not what you expected. It's not what you were probably not even what you were looking for. But it's still it's still a great movie and you will still have a lot of fun with it. So I I just I want to. Yeah, I just I want to try to leave it on a positive note because Mm -hmm. it it was a it was a fun movie, Um, but there were just some glaring things that that brought it down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's perfectly said, sir. And uh, I appreciate you kind of capturing everything for us. Well, yeah, man. That's what I'm here for.
0: You uh, you're you're the guy that dotes and I'm the guy that quotes. I don't know. I was trying to make that rhyme and it didn't work out.
1: (laughs) All right, man. Well, buddy, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, what are we watching next week? That's a fine question.
0: I got nothing. I got no idea. Okay. Um, I say we review Hobbes and Shaw. <laughs> okay. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> just because I've talked about it on two other podcasts and I could just recycle all that stuff and not have to be witty.
1: Well, you didn't know this about me, but I am deeply terrified instinctually by uh Maori tattooing and so <laughs> I mean, Hobbs and Shaw and Moana just live in my nightmares. Mm, that's uh, that's pretty rough, right there. I think it's because I was scared by the All Blacks, that New Zealand rugby team. I think that's <laughs> where it started.
0: <laughs> I was like, I was like, I just said, don't get racial. And then you said you got scared by the All Blacks. <laughs> no I don't man, understand
1: what's going on? Yeah, the All Blacks are the best thing in sports, dude. If you watch the, I can't remember what the thing is called, but what they do to like psych their uh, opponents out dates back to uh, Maori culture, and it's awesome. Anyway, I'm completely off the rails. I asked you to take us out. I will stop being uh, Mr. Rabbit Trail here.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, We'll figure out what we're going to watch next week. Um, But in the meantime, you guys can help us out the following ways. Uh, Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher SoundCloud, wherever you are listening to this right now. J-Date, Plenty of Fish, Farmers Only, whatever the situation is. Uh, If you're swiping right, swipe right with us. Leave us those five-star reviews. Uh, Those will help us out. Uh, You can join our Facebook group at We Saw Something Scary and be a part of the fun there. Uh, Not only are Jeff and I posting a lot of content, but we also have some really great, dedicated fans who post things nearly every day. And uh, one of the... One of the best reasons to stay on uh, social media, specifically Facebook, is for uh, the Sauce of the Scary Facebook group. Uh, and if you want to help us make the podcast better, you can contribute to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash scarypodcast. There are four different tiers that you can choose from, and we would love to have you contribute in that way as well. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Scary Podcast. You can follow Jeff at Right Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo, and we are out of time. Guys, thank you so much for listening, as always. And um, we will see you guys back here next week. But until then, beware of clowns in sewers, blind men with turkey pasters, white people with teacups. We'll see you guys back here next week. Meet I Walker.